poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. I am joined by John Chai. John, welcome to Tactical Tuesday, sir. How you doing? Well, doing well, little Hustler Casino Live, million dollar tactical, million dollar game tactical Tuesday this week, huh? Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, going the unconventional route here and bringing up a hand that, you know, maybe the viewers haven't seen, uh, just shining spotlight on uh, lesser known hands that have gone down between some, you know, really exciting up and coming poker players in, in the poker world, Tom Dewan and Doug Polk. Uh, you know, this hand, they, they had a million dollar buy-in on Hustler Casino Live as, as uh, the viewers may have been aware of over the past the past couple of weeks and yeah the hand in question a lot of people had opinions on it all over the poker world uh, over a million dollar pot yeah just worthy of discussion worthy of breaking down so we're actually going to dedicate an entire episode of tactical tuesday to this single hand you excited john i think there's actually like just jokes aside or like sarcasms i think there's like a lot to talk breakdown in this hand um so i'm actually pretty excited to people spend some extra time on this one as we should just go over what happened pre-flop doug opens the cutoff with five four of spades tom three bets from the small blind with pocket sevens um i think everything and doug calls i think everything there is completely standard um flop is king seven deuce so tom flops middle set and decides to see bet um smallish i guess like half pot gets called by doug's five four of spades we can talk about that i guess just like it might seem a little strange on the surface for someone to peel uh, what's essentially no pair, no draw on the flop um, sure. in Doug's shoes. Um, yeah, anything. No draw? What are you kidding? <laughs> There's three straight and three flush. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. you know, you got... Oh, no front door draw. Yeah, yeah. You, the, so he has four or five of spades. It flops king, seven, deuce with the deuce of spades. Um, I mean, Doug just essentially has to call the flop. Uh, you just can't fold... You, you know you, you can't just call with like your front door draws or your pairs or whatever you know he's got three to a flush as we said three to a straight um you know deuce four five and four five seven so yeah he, he has to continue with his hand at this depth facing tom Seabet. um but I, think- I think it's because of how deep they are right like at 100 big blinds effective you probably would not be advocating for a call here with five four spades you know probably maybe. would still um, yeah, okay, okay, okay. So like uh, you're you're it's it's it becomes like less and less um reasonable to call, I guess, the, the shorter you are, but these guys are playing a thousand big blinds effective, yeah. and so there's there's if just you, so much money behind. Well, if you there's so much money behind, but like actually if you sort of imagine the game tree and and kind of what needs to happen to have like a really strong holistic strategy in a spot like this at a thousand big blinds deep, like you will recognize that you need to have very strong hands on a wide variety of runouts and hands like four or five of spades that can't, that have backdoor properties 
um, with the flush and backdoor straight properties just fit very nicely into your flop calling range because, you know, on, um, you know, ace tray runouts, for instance, you have a straight on like six tray, you, you also have a straight, um, on spade spade, you have a flush. Um, it also gives you the ability to, when you turn like an open-ended straight draw, you can raise the turn and you've got natural bluffs with hands that can make the nuts. Right. So like if you never call with a three straight here or a three flush, then like on a six, when Tom bets and you raise, like where do your bluffs come from, right? Like where where do your low equity raises come from? Um, if you know you're only calling the flop when you have uh, front door diamonds um, or your pairs, and so yeah, like you basically just need to make be able to make the nuts on a wide variety of runouts and a wide variety of boards and four or five has the right properties to make the nuts on a lot of different runouts. And that's, you know, that concept gets exponentially amplified the deeper that you are. Um, because the deeper that you are, uh, it's just, you, you're going to be placing lots of bets downstream. And so it's like really important that you maintain enough combos in your, your flop calling range to be able to have a, um, you know, coverage on a wide variety of runouts, bluffs in enough spots where you need bluffs. Um, and you need to be able to make, you know, the nuts on a variety of runouts too. So yeah, just holistically speaking, um, I don't think Doug has, is just like flop is just a slam dunk have to call with his hand at this depth, no other real option. Um, pre-flop we didn't really touch on, but you know, Tom's decision to three bet sevens, is he in the small blind? Yeah, I guess if he's in the small blind, then it does not really much of a decision. The the big blind would be more interesting, but yeah, I think Tom's just got a got a hand that like again, um, fine three bet, and yeah. So essentially, like here on the pre flop and the flop, like the hands have kind of just played themselves up to this point. Yep, I agree. Not much to talk about either so, pre flop or on the flop. So we get yeah. a. Flop C bet in a call, turn six of hearts. Yeah. So the flop was king seven deuce with king seven of diamonds, turn six of hearts. So now Doug's got ye old open ended straight draw. Um, and Tom still has middle set. So I think it's fairly obvious what Tom's going to do. There's 61K in the pot. And Tom is going to keep pushing equity with his middle set as he should. I'm a little surprised by Tom's sizing here. I think he only bets 30K, um, mm-hmm. which is half pot. This would have been one of the streets that I think if if I was playing that I likely would have gone a larger size and, you know, started polarizing a little bit more with my with my entire betting range on the turn. Um, I was a little surprised to see a, only half pot coming out of, of uh, Tom's stack. Any, do you have any thoughts on his, his turn C-bet sizing? It's so out of place that it makes me curious. You know, I, my, my thoughts are, I'm not really sure, right? Because like half pot on the turn, not a super high frequency size that you see a lot of pros use. So like whenever, you know, if, if Tom were, if Tom were just a rack and, you know, bet half pot, I wouldn't think anything about it. But like the fact that Tom is like, well-established, uh, very high-level professional. 
him betting pot is weird to me. Like it's something that like makes me think, hmm, when playing like super deep stack cash in three butt pots, like maybe need to investigate this half pot sizing on the turn because like he's obviously he's obviously not just clicking buttons. It's done for very specific reasons that, you know, he only knows. And that's kind of just for the for the listener, for the watcher on YouTube, I think this is something that like is really important to think about when you're consuming this kind of content, right? And, you know, unless you're just consuming it to consume it for educational purposes. And if you're not consuming it to like learn, um, then yeah, just feel free to, you probably aren't listening to this episode. Like who, who are we kidding? Um, but if you're actually trying to learn, right, the beauty of like a poker live stream is that all decisions are like, you see them right? Like we, we see what they're doing. We don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but it's apparent that Tom is betting half pot. I'm sure he has reasons. I don't know his reasons. And that in and of itself just makes me realize like, oh, I should investigate the spot because clearly he knows something that I don't. And I imagine that whatever it is that he knows that I don't is quite valuable. So I can upgrade my game by um, looking into the sizing choice that he makes on the turn. And I, I think that like, that's just a, an important lesson for anybody that consumes poker streams, um, Twitch streams, what, whatever it is to like, yeah, everything is out in the open. Like they're not, nothing is concealed here about what Tom's doing except for why. And that's kind of on us to figure out why. But anyway, I know it's a long answer to your question, but I don't know the answer and it is, it is out of place. Yeah, so you're, you're surprised, but your, your reaction to your surprise when it comes from someone who's really, really good at poker is to like first start thinking about like, okay, what do they know that I don't know? Or what are they thinking that I'm, you know, I'm missing? Sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, you have to like, I, I think that like you have to think that to progress as a poker player, right? That the thought of like, oh, he is half pot here and that's bad. I think that is just like the dumbest thought that like anybody could have when they see somebody of, of, you know, Tom's caliber do this and just like outright say that it's bad. Like, I actually think that that's, that's like a prime indicator that like you, you have a lot of room to grow as a poker player. Like you, you have a lot to learn about the game because like, yeah, if that's your, if you're dismissing it out of hand because you don't understand it, well, that's a clear leak in your study and learning um, as it relates to your poker career. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's surprising. And for me, it's like, cool. There's something, something that, you know, we can learn here about this sizing. And so Tom bets 30 into 60 on the Yeah, turn. I'm sure, I'm sure next, oh. next week, you know, Tom will go on Twitter and say that like he miscounted the pot or something and it led to <laughs> his, his sizing choice on the turn. So <laughs> I thought they were green chips. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Made a mistake. Um, so yeah, Tom bets half pot here. And Douglas Polk is, you know, he's going to think for a bit. He will inevitably throw a raise into the oh. middle. He actually doesn't it. think for very long, given, you know, just the spot. And yeah. He's putting yeah. $150,000 in on the turn with the street left to left to play. Um, you want to just talk about this decision to raise? Yeah, I mean, he, he raises to like one hundred and. 15k, I believe. I think the graphic is off here. Yeah. Um, so he raises to 115. I, I think that you know, essentially in setting up the structure of the strategy of this hand on the flop, like when the six peels off, it's a card that gives Doug nutted equity, 
and enables him to raise with ha- with a hand that like can make the nuts on the river um and he can probably call a bet three bet depending on the size of it and it's not a set or it's not two pair right so it's just a way for you know Doug's strategy to be more holistically balanced and like he has to raise on the six i think like when you i think that like the way that the way that the hand was kind of set up is such that like Doug's strat is going to be the, that he raises on this card, at least at some frequency. Maybe not absolute frequency, but you know he's going to raise when he turns this this open ender because like it just makes way too much sense to raise and not enough. It doesn't make much sense to just call because like if you're just calling, then like you've got plenty of like hands that can go call call. Um, you need hands that can go call raise that aren't set basically. Yeah, and I think this hand just you know if we're just talking from like a pure theories perspective, it's going to be one of the lowest one of the worst hands five high that um doug <laughs> get yeah. to the river a little d wade yeah, yeah we, we we have uh ads in our stream play <laughs> on youtube because i i haven't gotten youtube premium you know much to my shame uh no youtube premium yet so anyway do you have any different thoughts about the raise on the turn by no i think it's i think it's really cool i mean i think it's like these are the types of raises that you expect like tough players to find or like good players to find. And like, I think a lot of, you know, players that are maybe a tier or two below like Doug even would just call turning an open ender and just take their equity and, you know, have a decision on the river, maybe decide to bluff the river if they face check or something like that. And, you know, I think this, you know, when you're playing extremely deep and you're going to have hands that you want to raise for value on the turn and just, you know, start, you know, start trying to get all the money in with, with your flop sets and, and two pairs and stuff like that, you're going to need to find raises with some low equity hands on the turn. And I think this, you know, like I said, this is going to be one of the worst hands he, he gets to the turn with. And and because of that, I think it makes a lot of sense to chunk into the, into the raise region. Yeah. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And preflop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. 
and then from there just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up working together trying to achieve that goal you know that that was fun that's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another kind of feeling like you're a part of a team it was uh, it was a great experience I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot what was your experience like playing cards post boot camp it's a totally different experience you know it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game and uh, since boot camp I've been able to to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there you know being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over it's it's been awesome what's your sample size of winning post boot camp I think I have 70,000 hands played by now you know I'm a father and I have a job so I'm not a, a professional player by any means that's my sample size preflop bootcamp is the flagship chasing poker greatness training program if you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month the price is $199 and your link to join is chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. So now we have the tank on the turn, you know, Tom, yeah, so this is where like the hand starts, yeah. right? Like this, this is where, you know, the magic is happening. Um, Doug, again, looks very comfortable, like despite, you know, raising to 115 K here, um, kind of laughing and considering calling the clock eventually does call the clock on Tom. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, go two ahead. and a half, two minutes and 15 seconds into the tank, Doug starts getting a little agitated and says, let's keep it moving. Yeah. Right. It doesn't call clock, but he says, let's keep it moving. Right. Um, and ends up calling the clock at like 2.30, right? Two minutes, 30 seconds? No, it's like three minutes and 30 seconds. 3.30? Yeah, 3.30, yeah. So he gives him like an extra minute and then decides to call clock. I just want to talk about that like before anything. You've played a lot of like pretty high stakes cash. Like you played like, you know, 5,100, you know, lots of lots of big stakes live cash in your time. Like this is something that Tom mentioned in the hand on the stream. Like, what is like the etiquette around calling clock in just bigger games and and you know not necessarily just bigger but sort of like private games right where you've also played where these these games are sort of specially curated it's not like your your local game at the casino where people are paying time rake and you know blah 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 it's this yeah. this is like a sort of special circumstance like is there are there like different rules around calling clock when you're playing in these types of games or games of this size that that you've noticed i can see all sides of it you know i don't know um I can say that the person that I've called clock on the most in my career is myself. I almost never call the clock on anybody and I almost never get the clock called on me. So, you know, I'm. What about other people? Do you see people calling clock on other people like in these high, high six live games? Not really. Yeah. Almost really never. That's what I expect. Yeah. I'm very, very, very rarely. Um, and because, I think that's actually like, I think that's kind of interesting. Like that's worth, like there's like this difference between like etiquette at like your one, two game and your etiquette, even at like, let's say like a game that's not that much bigger. That's not nosebleeds like 10, 20. I think one of the, one of the clear 
things that I see is like if you're playing one two and someone shows their hand to somebody else, half the table is going to stand up and say like show one, show all. You need to you know yeah, you yeah, need to yeah, table yeah. that hand. Whereas if that happens at ten twenty, no one's going to say anything, right? Like it's just a dude showing their hand to the fish to make the fish feel better or to you know get them to play longer or be friendly or whatever. And not a single person is going to say like show right. And so like that that's like a really clear example I think of like etiquette kind of changing or like expectations for how you behave changing as you move up stakes as the game slightly you know as the games yeah are populated by like different players um i, and I like, mean is that is that something that happens with the clock too is, is kind yeah of i think so like i mean it kind of works under this like fundamental agreement that the the pros have amongst themselves right that like more hands per hour is better like as you get higher in stakes like everybody realizes that all the pros are like, yeah, let's like, if we could play a thousand hands an hour, I would love to play a thousand hands an hour in this game. Like we, we want as many hands as possible. Like when you have that fundamental agreement between yourselves, um, it actually makes you have more respect when a player does go in the tank, because when they do go in the tank, it means that like, this is actually a really tough spot. Like this is a really tricky and difficult situation. And just out of like respect for that player, you know, I just, I don't really call the clock on them. I just let them let them think and and give them sort of the the space that they need. You know, I what I don't know that that's like good for me. Um, it could very well be bad for me overall. But you know, that's that's how I approach it, and and also like kind of think that like the other players. Um, yeah, as long as they're doing that for you too, it's they, not they should bad do that for you. Do that for yeah. me, right? Like, right, right? And I think yeah. the like. Yeah, very, very, very rarely do I call the clock on anybody. I can't remember ever really calling, you know, in a production like this, where like time is of the essence, I think for like a a live stream on Hustler, like there's all these other like weird sort of things that are going on um, where, you know, Hustler wants there to be more hands. But the, the thing that I think is like most unfair about it, this specific hand is that like, Doug's it's decisions really are tough easy. Spot. Doug's decisions are easy. Tom's decision here on the turn is incredibly difficult. Like incredibly, incredibly difficult because all the things that he's got to consider on this six, right? Like if I bet three bet, where are my bluffs coming from, right? Like what hands would I actually just bet three bet here on the turn? Like what lower equity hands make sense? Um, You know, would I like what hands, I guess the first part is like, what hands do I have in my range here that even go bet bet in the first place after three betting? And then like, what hands make the most sense to like bet three bet, um, you know, that aren't sets, right? How often does Doug have Kings in his range, right? Like is Doug pure four betting Kings? Is he flatting Kings? So like, you know, that, that's another question, although probably just a a lesser question, I think to, to Tom, because like. Doug certainly has like sixes or deuces here. So like if if he bets three bet bet three bets, like is sixes even going to stack off? Right? Like is deuces, is deuces gonna stack off? Which is like one of the primary value hands that Doug has. Like, what about King Six or King Deuce? Like, do those hands stack off, right? If he bet three bets a turn. Um, and then like how do you play the river after after the turn, right? On a variety of different runouts. You have to like have a plan for like Am I going to check raise all in on the, on the river? Like, so I I almost think that we should be like analyzing the situation from like, not even like considering Tom's specific hand, like, and the, and the issue he has like with his hand, it's like just, just in a vacuum, 
Tom is playing a three bet pot out of position. He C bet the flop, C bet the turn, and got raised on the turn. And they're playing, they started the hand a thousand big blinds effective. Yeah. Like that'll, that's all you need to know, kind of, right? It's like, doesn't even matter whether you have a set or a bluff or like whatever. It's like, yo, you, you, you should get a lot of time in that this, spot with the street left to play. Like, yeah. It's, it's like he got, he got forced into a position that is very difficult and very tricky. Uh-huh. And then also is forced to play the spot quickly when the alternative position is relatively easy to play right like doug's doug's spot is relatively simple like cool i call the flop that's going to happen almost always um then he decides to raise the turn which i i you know is a great find and i i think it's yeah but it's not something that he had to like think super deeply about raising the turn right it's like oh i'm just gonna raise the turn like tom's tom's position is way trickier way more difficult. And so like, to me, yeah, as long as it's not like a habitual offender that tanks consistently, like again and again and again, like I just, I would give them a lot of latitude and space to like, think about it. And yeah, that, that's, that's how I would go about it. But again, like I do want to, you know, say that Doug, He's played on a bajillion D live streams. Uh, he runs the lodge. They have a live stream. So like a lot of the dynamics of like production and that sort of thing that he may be considering, um, you know, I, I don't really have that information or I don't really know exactly how that works. So yeah, hard to criticize Doug um, for calling the clock to be like, it didn't see, he was kind of sheepish about it. Like it wasn't a thing that he's like, you know, yeah. Yeah. He like I mean, asked kind of the players it with if like, it's okay. It yeah. 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 So yeah, I don't think it's like out, super out of line or anything, but you know, I would say that like Tom is justif- justified in probably getting a little annoyed about the clock. Yeah, he was definitely on. annoyed. He, yeah. he said like I've never played stakes like this and seen the clock get called. Like he he said something like that, you know, a handful yeah. of times, and just kind of let let everyone, including Doug, know that like this is not considered good etiquette at five hundred yeah. or whatever. And I mean, Tom's gonna know, right? Like. Tom's going to know I I do. There's this like other element before, you know, about the night before the two nights before I don't, I can't even remember like what night this was on, but like everybody's talking about how like, Oh, there's no action on the show. And like, Doug's like, ah, I'm going to put my Cape on and save the day. I'm going to get in there and raise and play giant pots and like get out of line. Um, that sort of thing. So like Doug coming into this, you know, could have been coming from that, perspective of like, oh, I'm going to make this game fun. I'm going to liven it up. I'm going to play big pots. Like it's going to be good TV. Um, And so like maybe he has that sort of internal pressure of like, he's got to be like the sheriff, right? He's got to be like, okay, I got to, I got to make this thing go. Um, So again, that's just conjecture. I I have no idea what's actually going through Doug's mind, but yeah, Tom, I mean, look at his face that we paused it on, right? He's, he's not exactly thrilled about (laughs) being, being forced to act so quickly. So before we before we go on to the next like the next part of the hand, like yeah. what do you think about Tom's decision to flat here versus anything else? I mean, obviously not fold, but flat versus um, raising. I like it. I I like it a lot because and my reasons can be like very different than Tom's reasons, but I like it because it makes the river pretty easy to play. Like it's hard to like make a strategic mistake if you decide that, you know, you're just flatting everything on the call, turn. Call. You're, you're yeah. playing pure call. So I think that like from a, you know, simplification side of it, like one way to like 
um, you know, take the thousand big blinds kind of out of play and reduce the complexity is to just have a pure call range. And it's going to be quite difficult for Tom to like make a catastrophic error if he just calls the turn. And if he bet three bets a turn, I think that that is way more complex. There's a much higher probability of some kind of strategic failure being in the construction of his bet three bet range, um, his river strategy, just like a lot of, a lot of different ways that things can kind of go off the rails. So like simplifying to pure call, I think is, is good. I mean, I think it's that, that it's probably what I would do in a, in the same spot. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I, you know, like you said, it's like, it's tough to manage like a, a bet three bet range and a whole bet three bet strategy in the spot. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I really like the call. That's, <clears throat> I, I was watching this hand live, I think when it happened, cause they, they tweeted about some crazy hand. And so I, yeah. I wanted to see it. And yeah, I was, I was kind of rooting for Tom to, to flat the turn. Yeah. Um, well, he flats the turn. Um, mm. The river is a six of spades. So final board was king seven, do six, six. So Tom's got a boat. There's 291K in the pot. Doug has, oh, actually Tom's the effective stack with 881K. Doug has him covered. Um, yeah. Doug has a few different sizing options here, I think. Uh, he is going to settle eventually on, um, you know, the old 420. Yeah, the old stoner size of, of 420 for one reason or another. Not sure how he landed on that size exactly, but he bets 420 into about 300. So ends up being a 130% overbet on the river. Um, and he's got, yeah, if, if Tom jams, he's going to have like 460K to jam. Uh, yeah, I, I think, <sighs> so there's a lot of things happening here, even on the river um, for both Doug and Tom, actually, that are quite interesting. Um, the first is, what do you think Doug makes of Tom's tank on the turn? Like that's, that's sort of the first, like Tom did tank for two and a half, three minutes. Like, is there any sort of narrowing of the range due to the deep tank on the turn? Cause he bets big, like it's yeah. mm, that strategy is actually much harder to pull off and much harder to, uh, justify because like when you do have a boat, you, you do want to, <laughs> you do want to bet big. Um, yeah. targeting the same hands that yeah. um, you would target, you know, target, targeting ace king, targeting aces, the hands that aren't going to fold facing the small yeah. bet. So basically, yeah. I think what you're saying is like Doug raising the turn is him saying like, hey, my range is polar and my range I'm is still polar keep, on the river. So I picked yeah. the polar size. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, with that, so all of that being said, I, I think that like Doug's only going to have one size on the river, although, you know, a secondary size. It could be possible um, if he so chose, but he doesn't use this size. And now the action's back on Tom. And Tom, yeah, I, I think this is the this is the point where uh, you should probably just hit play because we can talk for the next six minutes about yeah, <laughs> what Tom is going to do while he while he tanks for six minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny too. On the uh, probably should have just let this play out. Um, <laughs> while we were, we were going before, but, um, 
in the turn on the turn when Doug called the clock on Tom, you know, uh, Tom asked whoever was like running the clock, like how long is the clock? Like a minute. And it kind of like, when I thought about it in retrospect, it kind of gave me the impression that like, okay, Tom's, <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising if he just like waited until one second was left or two seconds to take an action just to spite Doug at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that what you think happened? Cause I sort of have like a, I don't, I don't know if this is like a hot take cause I haven't really been keeping up with the comments or like Twitter on, on, on their opinions on this hand. But I, I feel like I have sort of what's a hot, what might be like a hot take about stir here. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be that hot of a take because Tom's yeah. Tom's expressed sort of what, what happened on the river here. Um, I mean, look at him, right? Like on the turn, Oh, what did oh, Tom say? What did Tom say? I don't know what he's saying, right. but he's talking, right? He's like no, smiling. No, no, I thought, oh, I thought you said when you said like Tom expressed what what happened on the river. Oh, he said that he 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 took too much time on the river on purpose because he was annoyed. Oh, he admitted it. The, yeah, yeah, he admitted oh, it. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, he, yeah I missed he, he I missed that. But that that's what I thought he was doing. Like I what I was going to say was like I think Tom was annoyed that Doug called the clock on the turn and he just decided on the river like I'm just going to do this. I'm going to get the clock called on me. I'm going to use all the time and yeah initially i didn't think that was the case and then like i talked to you and you said that was your theory before and then tom said it out loud and oh nice um so you were you're vindicated that this is kind of a, a little bit of retribution here Sweet. uh by tom and like, i've seen yeah. tom play pots that are bigger than this on stream and never tank even close to this long yeah. um so to be fair and to be fair, like the different, the beauty, the beauty of Tom, like, you know, dragging this out is that if he would have told anybody, it's, you could actually just come to the conclusion that like, this is, you know, a tough spot as to whether he should jam or call. Yeah. Right. So like he has some like, uh, um, what is it? The. Deniability. Yeah, yeah. He, plausible deniability. Yeah, he's got pl like plausible he's, deniability. He's really, really smart. Like he's using that, like as the shield to be able to annoy the shit out of Doug. Right, right, right. right. Like, yeah, because he knows that if he, you know, if he actually just blatantly took too long and whatever, you know, you, you tarnishes your reputation. People start hating on you for playing slow and being a dick and whatever. But like he sort of gets like shielding from that because hey, this is kind of a tough spot. Like I was actually thinking about what to do. When but in then reality, he just tells everybody on Twitter, so that kind of ruins the plausible deniability. When you, yeah, <laughs> you just I'm tell surprised everybody. that he did that. I'm really surprised that he 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 admitted it. But I'm pretty sure he did. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that you know he he kind of like sheepishly admitted that you know, he just wanted to take it to Doug a little yeah. bit because yeah. he called the clock on the turn. Right, right. Um, but to be fair, like the turn, it was a very difficult decision. I think the river is less difficult. Um, at least. And I think that, that that was part of Dwan's annoyance. It's like, Doug, like you are a good enough poker player to recognize how hard this turn decision is. Like of, out of all the people at this table, like I, I, you know, Tom is probably thinking like, I would least expect Doug to call the clock because he has the most appreciation for this, you know, really really tough turn spot yeah i mean maybe doug was just too amped up you know too too ready to ready to be sheriff and push the action and make this show go um yeah. but yeah i i think yeah i, I this this is like the most <laughs> the the questionable i don't know 
I don't know whether it's good that Tom decides to like tank forever here or not. I mean, I think that like for retribution, the, the needle aspect of it and kind of giving it to Doug, giving yeah. Doug the business, I think. Yeah. But for like the, the game flow production, <laughs> there's a lot of other things on the turn that like I talked about that all of that goes off the window with the six minute river tank. When like you probably knew what you're going to do five minutes ago. Um, yeah. Because the decision is just to like jam is it's clearly to jam or call. So he's got to figure out like, you know, does, does Doug call with enough worse hands? If I jam, like, does he raise King six on the turn? Absolutely. Uh, on an absolute basis. Like, does he call with some of his King six? Will he call a jam with deuces? Right. I think that's actually kind of an important question because like, I don't know the answer to that. Doug deuces could be a fold facing a jam. Um, so like with that said, I think that he probably came to the conclusion that jamming is a little too thin in about a minute and then just drug it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's to, what I think. I think that's what happened too. Maybe it took him longer than a minute. I mean, like whatever in Tom's defense, it's a million dollars decision. He could be playing like a $2 million chip pot. If he, if he does make the mis make a, make a misstep here. So yeah. Yeah. It's not to, you know, not to just completely shit on Tom for, for taking a long time here. Um, no, look at him. Look at his acting skills. He's yeah. like, look at, look at him go right there. He's, oh man, this is tough. Like, <laughs> yo, what's up in that corner? <laughs> <laughs> is the answer up there? Is it like, nah, it's not there. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to look over here for a while. Um, It would be like, I, it would be weird if he's like laughing and stuff and like talking to people and then raises oh the God, river. Like that, that would be actually like a bizarre thing for Tom to do. And I actually think maybe like that, just him doing, as soon as he starts laughing, looking at somebody else and talking or whatever it is, he knows what he, he, he's, he's yeah. he knows yeah. which way he's going. The rest of it is just like, to, this uh, is not the face of a man in agony. Like, yeah. I mean, look at him. He's, he's just, just going <laughs> to inflict some punishment yeah, to, yeah. To get a little payback for, you know, Doug calling, calling the clock on the turn. So anyway, it, it doesn't really matter to me. Like I don't, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other about, I guess, Doug calling the clock on Tom and Tom doing this on the river. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, you're, you're playing a game of psychological warfare and you know, they, they both kind of came at each other and yeah, it just happens. Strategically, still really interesting hand. I think. I mean, that turn spot is is really really. Turn tough. spot's killer, man. Turn River's spot is another tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Turn spot. The turn spot is way more complex than the river. I think. Um, but yeah, cool hand, good spot. And I mean, again, like I set this up right by saying that like if either player is probably going to be more risk averse, it's you know more likely to be Doug, I would imagine. And Doug had no problem just pulling the trigger here, $420,000 bluff on the river. So doesn't look like Doug's playing too risk averse. Looks like he's in his, his element, his comfort zone. So yeah, really, really cool. Just uh, breaking down this hand to Titans of our game going to war. Yeah, that's two legends for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, that's all I got for this week's episode of tactical Tuesday. We did it one hand, 37 minutes, million dollar pot. Well done, John. See you next week, everybody. Yeah, should I drag it out for another six minutes while you're dri <laughs> driving along in your car, thinking there there might be something good behind the next sentence? No, all right. Bad for YouTube metrics. See you next week.
Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.